Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. We are starting a new series today for the season of Epiphany in year A, beginning with this Sunday, the baptism of our Lord. Jesus Appears is the name of the series. We will talk about Jesus making himself known. Of course, that's the meaning of Epiphany and the theme of this season. Jesus appears as the Anointed One, as the Lamb of God, as the light in the darkness. This is uh, a series that will take uh, us through the first uh, three Sundays after the Epiphany, and after this we'll transition into a different one focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. But we get this main theme of Jesus appears in these first three Sundays after the Festival of the Epiphany. Thank you for being with us today, and let me introduce the participants in today's podcast. Pastor Phil Kasmer from Christ the Lord Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Phil Hebner serving at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. And Professor Alan Sorum is participating today from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary and from the Pastoral Studies Institute. So thank you all, Phil and Phil and Alan, for being with us today. Um, Phil Hebner, could you start us off by just getting us acquainted with the, the theme for this Sunday a little bit? Uh, Jesus appears as the anointed one. Uh, so the theme is, as you just said, uh, Jesus appears as the anointed one. And the focus of the Sunday really comes from the gospel for the day, which is all about the baptism of our Lord. And so, so clearly at his baptism, as the Father speaks and the Spirit descends and lights on Jesus, we see Jesus anointed. Of course, Christ uh, being the, the Greek word and Messiah, the Hebrew word for the anointed or chosen one. So as we see Jesus clearly starting his ministry and pointed to with a bright neon lights from heaven, so to speak, as the anointed and chosen one on this day, that kind of filters into the other texts. And the text in particular that we'll look at today, which is Acts chapter 10, where Peter talks about Jesus being anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then we see some of the, the other people there with Peter on that day, also anointed by the Holy Spirit. So that will encompass our focus for today. Thank you. Uh, Phil Kasmer, could we go to you next just for a summary of the scripture readings for the day? Um, as Phil mentioned, we will be focusing on the second reading from Acts 10 as our sermon text. So if you could especially get us acquainted with uh, highlights of the gospel of the day and the first reading. Sure. Uh, in the gospel, we're on Matthew 3, 13 to 17, and uh, we're doing exactly as Phil highlighted, seeing Jesus come to his baptism. Um, John the Baptist recognizes the truth right away. This Jesus is righteous and far more righteous beyond uh, than John is, not deserving to baptize Jesus, he says. But uh, we find, as we know, Jesus is on the mission to fulfill all righteousness and to do all the things that encompass the will of God and to identify with sinners. Uh, and so he is baptized and perhaps most important in the text although it's probably hard to pick a single most important thing, God affirms that as true and says, this is my chosen one. Uh, I am well pleased with him uh, and inaugurates Jesus publicly into his ministry in this way. And uh, those themes we also see in the Isaiah reading for the day, uh, the prophetic connection where God promises to put his spirit on the Messiah 
and empower the anointed one to free us from our sins. That promise is fulfilled as Jesus is baptized and goes about all of his work, of course. But in Isaiah's language, we see uh, God's servant who is uh, also there, God's delight, going to bear God's spirit in righteousness, and God will uphold him and be with him, uh, as promised in Jesus' baptism. Uh, and I think we see some of the same notes in Isaiah. He is going to fully accomplish justice in righteousness, be totally in line with God's will. Uh, and there are interesting notes in Isaiah in verses 2 to 3. Uh, it's not for himself. He's not going to cry out or defend himself. He's on a mission to complete God's justice, verse 4, and in verses 6 to 7, we get the import of that for us. Justice and righteousness is enacting God's covenant love. Uh, he brings release and freedom to captives and his light in the darkness and all of these, these beautiful pictures that are of amazing saving benefit for, for us, the reader. And I think that encompasses the two and the day. Uh, many of those points will hit in our sermon text, too. Great. Thanks for that helpful summary, getting us into the, the context of the readings of the day. Um, Alan, let's go to you next to get us started thinking about the uh, appointed sermon text for the day, Acts chapter 10, 34 to 38. Uh, if you could just go ahead and highlight whatever you'd like to, and then uh, the rest of us will chime in as we go along. Thank you very much. Let me uh, just establish the context very quickly. Um, by a vision that God repeated three times to Peter, I, I find that interesting. Um, uh, be a fun thing to explore why God felt, felt it was necessary to show this vision to Peter three times. But he showed Peter three times that he should not call food or people unclean or impure anymore. And then uh, immediately, Peter is invited to the home of Cornelius the Centurion. And uh, Cornelius the Centurion had also received a vision that he should invite Peter. So uh, Peter arrives at the home. He makes the uh, obvious announcement. Boy, this is, you know, I don't, I don't usually visit the home of Gentile people, but uh, here I am. And then I imagine perhaps with the voice of a centurion, someone that use, is used to being obeyed, the, the centurion said, okay, we are all here ready to hear everything that the Lord had commanded you to say to us. So that's the context. Now, in this very short text, there are some really interesting Greek things. And uh, the first thing I want to point out is that, that Peter said, uh, I now realize... He says, in truth, I now realize, I grasp, <clears throat> the word is kata lambanomai, and uh, kata plus lambai, he, he's able to bring alongside himself to grasp uh, the way this word is used, to grasp either physically, you grasp somebody, or mentally, you grasp a concept. He says, okay, I get it. And, and it's in the present tense. He says, I'm getting this. Well, what's he getting? That God is not a, um, a face grasper. This is, this is, maybe it's just a coincidence. But the, this word face grabber is, is only used here. It too is a, is a compound of lumbano. Uh, Prusapun face uh, lumbano, my grabber. God is not somebody who grabs hold of a face or pays attention to a face. 
So these are interesting words. These are strong words. Peter says, I am grasping that God's not a face grabber. And then in verse uh, 35, he goes on. He says, Allah, but rather kind of a strong counterpoint to God being a face grabber. Uh, look what he front loads up at the very front of his sentence. He says, in every nation. That's how he begins what he, he is now grasping in every nation. Now he uses a, an interesting construction, you know, unit construct, unit concept, where you have one article modifying two participles that are, that are used to express quality. He says, in every nation, the one who is fearing him and at the same time, the one who is doing righteousness, and now comes the payoff, acceptable to him is, or is acceptable to him. So just once again, to get the flow of the sentence, here's what Peter wants to emphasize. In every nation, the one who is fearing God and who is doing righteousness, this is the one who's acceptable. Now, uh, Peter wants to make sure, obviously, that uh, fearing God and doing righteousness not to be interpreted in the way a Muslim might interpret that phrase or uh, a Catholic might interpret that phrase or your typical American evangelical. <clears throat> um, Peter wants to make sure that, uh, pardon my language here, don't, don't mean to uh, sound um, political, but he wants to make sure that it it's properly understood in, in what we Lutherans want to express doing righteousness and fearing God. Uh, he goes on, Peter goes on by saying that, uh, let me get the verse here, verse 36. You know, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So doing, doing righteousness isn't an external act that somehow, like Cornelius or some other person might achieve externally by doing something good. But doing righteousness is that imputed righteousness by which we, through the good news, by which we receive peace through Jesus Christ. And just so we're clear, Peter's clear what, what God he's talking about. He says this Jesus Christ, though born of a Jewish woman, is the Lord of all. So that, that doing righteousness, fearing God in our, in our sermons, obviously we want to be very careful about you know, the righteousness that we do. The only righteousness we can possibly do is, is that which is imputed to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that which changes our heart, gives us new life, and gives us the ability to show our love to Jesus by the righteousness we aspire to in, in our daily lives. Uh, and then Peter goes on in, in verse 37, very interesting phrase. He says, you know, he's talking to Cornelius. He's talking to a house full of Cornelius's family members and friends. Um, by and large, obviously, Gentiles. He says to the Gentiles, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, at the baptism of John, that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Uh, another interesting Greek word here. Um, Peter says, you know, you've, you've heard about Jesus. You've heard about the kingdom of God he preached. Um, and, you, and Peter knew about how desperately Gentiles needed it because they were kata dina stoia menus hipa tu diabalu. They were oppressed by the devil. Very strong word. You know, Peter understood, and probably because he had seen it so many times, the, the power and the torment and the oppression of demon possession and how Jesus demonstrated he was the anointed powerful savior of all by the way he had compassion on these people and, and rescued them. So some interesting things. Um, I think the thing that really intrigues me about this text though, and the reason that I would really enjoy preaching on this text is, you know, what does Peter mean when he says, I get it. He, he heard Cornelius describe Cornelius's vision of having Peter come to his home. Now Peter says, okay, I get it. Well, what could that mean? Uh, you look at Isaiah 42, one to seven, which is the old Testament reading for today. And like so many verses throughout Isaiah over and over and over again, God says, it's not enough for me to rescue Israel. His eyes are always on the islands. He wants a gospel for all the people. And we have that beautifully stated in Isaiah 42, 1 to 7. Here comes God for every single person. Now, did, did Peter somehow sleep through his, uh, uh, his instruction that he had heard Isaiah probably more than once, and he like missed that instruction that's throughout all of Isaiah, that God is a God of all people, that he always wanted Gentiles in his family. Is that what he meant when he said, oh, I get it now? I'm getting, I'm starting to get it. God is a universal God. Well, or <laughs> when he said, I get it, I'm, I'm getting it now. Did he mean something a little bit more human, a little bit more difficult? Like, you know, I'm seeing the ramifications now of what it means that our God has a universal love for every single human. And he wants every single human to come to him in spirit and in truth. I'm seeing the ramifications of that. I'm getting, I'm getting, maybe... I wonder if what Peter was thinking about is I'm starting to see the consequences of a New Testament church that is of every nation, tribe, people, and language. Um, I, I just, I think it, that would be a fun thing to explore in a sermon is what does it mean to finally get who God is, what his love is for all people, and how he sent Jesus, born of a Jewish woman, to be the savior of all people, a powerful savior who could rescue us from even something as terrible as demons. So those are my thoughts on the text. Thank you, Alec. Yeah, a lot of uh, thought-provoking things in the Greek text. 
Um, yeah, it, it occurs to me that, you know, verse 38 is kind of what draws our attention to Jesus as the anointed one, but it's expressed here, that truth is expressed here in the context of Peter's work, the expansion of the church, the, the uh, Isaiah prophecy being fulfilled of the gospel going out to all nations and people uh, grappling with that truth, Peter especially, that Jesus is the anointed Savior uh, for all. Um, so yeah, kind of a, a, we see the connection there to the baptism of our Lord and his anointing by the Spirit, but also kind of this global uh, reach of the anointed's grace and power. Um, I'll open it up uh, to Phil and Phil now. What um, uh, things you would, would you like to add to what Alan has said or uh, highlight that you noted in your look at this text? Um, we can think about things like um, law and gospel in the text, um, applications. I'll just open it up. What insights would you like to share? Phil Hebner, let's go to you first. Well, uh, first, thanks, Alan, for the context of the text, because I was uh, going to definitely say today that you cannot preach on this text without expanding the context. I mean, this Cornelius event is so, so important. You know, it's almost one of those things where you don't need any kind of uh, cutesy tie-in or introduction to the sermon. I mean, maybe just explaining the impact of Cornelius to lead into the sermon as your introduction. Um, you know, because if Pentecost was like the turning point for the disciples and the spirit coming, and now there are these bold witnesses now the Cornelius event is the turning point to opening it up to all people. And, and really that's kind of the epiphany thing, right? Jesus appears, he is revealed. Um, and so how neat to have this text um, buried in this bigger chapter and Cornelius event story, but also to have this text uh, liturgically right after epiphany, the epiphany of our Lord. And you have the Magi there. So, you know, Jesus revealed as the savior of all nations. So I guess the first thought on this text is uh, the importance of exploring that Jesus for all people revelation that's going on. And not, not even just the before context, but also to give a little bit of the after context for this text, that after Peter finished this message, the Holy Spirit did come upon um, Gentiles there and anointed them too. Uh, so maybe that leads to a second thought is there could be a lot of fun with this text um, not just talking about Jesus for all people, but just playing with uh, the motif of anointing, you know, and you have, I guess, maybe what anointing of um, prophets or priests or kings in the Old Testament sort of foreshadowing the great prophet, priest and king of Jesus. And here he is at the baptism of our Lord anointed, you know, I guess, literally in the Greek, he was Christed, right? Creo is the anoint word. Uh, and so there he's anointed and now in baptism, for the rest of us, we are now anointed as prophets, priests, and kings uh, with a new identity in Christ. Uh, and so to see that happen for the Gentiles here in this Acts text, and then to see that happen in our lives, I think is really cool. And maybe I'll just add one more thought uh, to unite all three of the texts for this day. How neat to see the work of the Trinity in our salvation. You know, in Isaiah 42, you have the father saying, I will send, you know, here's my servant. I'm sending him my chosen one, and I'm going to put my spirit on him. You see that happening very literally at his baptism, the father speaking, the spirit coming down, the son is present. And then here in Acts chapter 10, 
you know, the father is talked about as anointing his son, Jesus, the spirit coming on him, and then immediately after coming on the Gentiles. So, uh, you know, the work of father, son, and Holy Spirit united um, in the work of the anointed Christ to bring salvation to all people, the ends of the earth. Uh, again, lots of different little motifs and nuances to explore. And I think I agree with Alan that there's a lot of interesting stuff in a small little text. Yeah, definitely. Um, you do see that uh, emphasis, as you mentioned, Phil, Jesus, the anointed one for all people um, coming through pretty strongly in this text. Um, if you were to uh, point out um, uh, a malady um, or a, a sin problem that, that this text kind of addresses or exposes, um, how would you express that? I mean, I, I've got my idea in my head based on Peter's struggle, but um, I'll let you guys have the first crack at it if you'd like. How, how do you express um, the, the malady in this text or, or get listeners to explore that? Uh, Phil Kasmer? Um, I think the other bit of the content in there um, would be the peace that Jesus brings. And my temptation in relation to all those uh, good and contextual everyone else, all people in the world thoughts, is uh, I am tempted to be a respecter of face. I you know, respect my own and the ones I like. Um, but I, I need to meet God's favor in the one who does what I and everyone else cannot do. Um, and I'm tempted to do everything but that. I'm, I'm tempted to look all over the place elsewhere for uh, peace, but Jesus is bringing something that, that this world and my function, my action, my doing of righteousness cannot do. Um, I, I guess I would emphasize on that, that peace aspect to kind of unite it. <clears throat> Yeah, great. Alan? Yeah, um, just real quick, I think, I wonder the significance of this going to the, the Peter getting the vision three times was, was that just, you know, God's style of saying important things three times, or did he want to make sure he could break through Peter's um, renowned thick skull with this vision and say you got to get something here that's really really important uh, I came first for the Jews but not only for the Jews and and that Peter got that and and we know later on in Peter's life Paul had to rebuke Peter for like sliding back into a kind of an old covenant worldview so Again, I want to be careful about that, but again, I don't want to pretend it didn't happen either. I, I think we human beings, and, and Phil really just touched on it, we, we struggle with the universality of God's love. And I, I think that's a really important thing to point out in this text, and that the only way that we access the love that God has for all is, is through his son, Jesus Christ, the powerful son, Jesus Christ, so powerful he can break through our, uh, our lack of appreciation for God's universal love. Thanks. Yeah. I think we are, um, 
you know, astounded at Peter's slowness to grasp this, you know, throughout the whole Cornelius episode and the vision and, and, um, and then if you read on to chapter 11, you know, that this is when Peter now having got it, uh, shares this message with everybody else in the, the Christian community. Yeah, God is for all Gentiles too, and they're slow to get it. You know, I think it's easy for us to say, man, why, why is this so hard to grasp? Um, but um, well, first of all, think of their context and their history um, that made it hard to grasp, but think of the same, uh, the fact that the same sinful nature that is in us is also in them and how slow we can be to get past these barriers or these, these um, divisions we've set up in our minds or in our hearts. Um, there's us and then there's them, there's my people and uh, other types of people. And so I think, yeah, that the slowness maybe shouldn't be so astonishing because um, we can see it in ourselves as well. Uh, I like how, uh, Phil Kasmer, you brought out the, um, the, the note of peace that's there in the text, uh, the peace that um, extends from God to us, from God to others, uh, crossing boundaries, crossing cultures. Uh, yeah, that's a neat aspect of, of the gospel, uh, very textually uh, expressed. Um, any other thoughts in that regard? How can you can bring out the, the gospel in ways that are unique to this text? Uh, Phil Hebner? Um, it's yeah, sometimes I think of keywords that kind of jump off the page, so to speak, and the words that we've talked about in English being uh, favoritism. God does not show favoritism, but accepts, you know, and to think of the duality of law and gospel there, where we do sometimes show favoritism and we do not accept. Uh, and so that would be maybe the law side, but gospel side that God does not. Um, there is no reason for him to favor me in any way, shape or form or accept me that I would be pleasing or right in his sight. And yet he does. And, you know, that good news, I, I mean, how can that not bring me peace that God would treat me not as I deserve? So that's one thought of gospel. Another one, uh, just thinking of, again, the, the theme of the day being the baptism of our Lord. Uh, here you have Christ, the Christ, the perfect righteous one standing in the waters of the Jordan, not for himself, right? I mean, he was baptized for us to fulfill all righteousness, to make baptism a thing and to be powerful for us. And so that his righteousness could be transferred over to us. So when I see in like verse 38 of this text, Acts 10, that Jesus went around doing good, you know, he was a do-gooder, as the participle would say, I, I don't do that either. Uh, and yet I have Jesus with this power over the devil who is doing good and loving others, stepping into the waters of, of, uh, the Jordan River being baptized for me so that I can have this new identity that that this favoritism and grace of God would accept me, even though I'm unacceptable, I think is just so powerful. Bill Kasper? Maybe a more minor note, but I, I think I would also hit, you have that big word um, that Peter brings up in 35, that Alan is right, you have to figure through and make sure you express rightly those who fear God and do what is righteous. Um, but one of my associates recently kind of noodled on that word, fear God for a bit and said, you know, isn't it that you're, you know, you have a respect for who God is and what he does, or you're, you're kind of struck back out of your normal way. And to think that what 
uh, Phil just said is, is true. God doesn't accept by way of what we do and he doesn't show favoritism. Um, those are astounding things too. I think there's a, a be struck by the gospel sort of idea here where my, my respect and life orientation has shifted because our audience is God-fearers and people who seek to do what is righteous. We're not preaching generally to um, unbelievers, but those who do value what God has said in Christ. I think that's worth saying to them again. That's who you are. Yeah, this is who you are um, because the one anointed uh, has brought you into his family and his righteousness is your righteousness. Yeah, therefore you share these characteristics. Um, great. Um, getting into uh, applications um, of this text, um, how would you express that? I mean, I, I think a lot of lot jump to mind, God not being... Uh, Right, the face grabber, uh, the respecter of persons. Um, we've talked about that. How would you go about that in you know in an evangelical way, um, bringing across some of the truths of this text? We talked about a little bit of appropriation, God accepting me, making me righteous in Him, uh, the Anointed One, uh, making me anointed. Uh, but how about thoughts for application? Uh, where would you go with that? Alan? Yeah, I, I, I'm predisposed to a direction, I suppose, being part-time outreach pastor at Christ Lutheran Church. But where I would go is, or, or, or where I think I would go at this point, is uh, look, at, look what Peter is doing. He is going to a place where he might not be received or welcomed. He is going to a place that he wouldn't typically go to. He is going to a place where he wouldn't have imagined himself going to, uh, but he's got to go there. And I, I think that's a, our working definition of evangelism, isn't it? Um, reading a bunch of Bible, you know, it's helpful, but it doesn't make you an evangelist. But uh, you take what you've read from the Bible, now you go someplace with it to person who needs to hear God's help and embrace the awkwardness of it. Just embrace the, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm entering a home where I'm not supposed to be, where I'm not supposed to be liked. I'm going to a person I'm not supposed to like. But we have this God who doesn't look at such externals like faces, color of them, shape of the eyes, etc. And that universal love that our God has for all people changes us so that we go to whatever place we have to go to to share that universal message with somebody. So I'd have some fun with that. Phil Kasmer? And I would just add on to that. I <clears throat> I think you can't miss that aspect of this text because it's obviously the context. I, I like uh, the terrible English translation in the first verses where Peter stops and opens his mouth. Like you wouldn't translate it that way. Um, but I like that as a simple evangelism reminder. Like I, I may not get to go to Thailand, but sometimes I just, I just need to open my mouth and talk with the people who are around me to make it real simple. Um, I may not have a call like Peter's, but I have a call to share the gospel. And, and sometimes it's just that basic. Great. Phil Hebner. 
hundred percent agree with what uh, both brothers said there. And again, just to think about the repulsiveness for most Jews that it would be to interact with Gentiles. I mean, as you, as you read through Acts and all these stories and the church is growing, there's nothing that got a Jew more worked up than when they started talking about Jesus is the savior and Jesus is the savior for all people, including Gentiles, you know? And so the everyday application, whoever you are and wherever you are, there's always somebody not to be liked. So, you know, some places it's more of a struggle by race or ethnicity. Some places it's Packers versus the Bears. Some places it's political parties. Some places it's, you know, social economic status or, or whatever. There's always somewhere where the devil works on your heart to look down on other people and, it, and you're repulsive to me. Uh, but for me to, first of all, grasp, I ought be and really am by, by sinful nature and my actions repulsive to God. And yet I'm not because of his grace that accepts me, um, that that can fill my heart so that I can look at other people and they are now accepted by me. And I don't show favoritism either, that the peace of God given to me, I can also share and proclaim as I evangelize with other people. Um, so, you know, how God treats me and looks at me, that that can start to change the way I interact with anyone I come across, as both the other brothers said uh, that's really life-changing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, that new way of looking at the world, at, at every other person, at, um, at, at opportunities that we might not even see because to us, they don't seem like opportunities at all. But uh, if there are people, they are uh, ones for whom Jesus came and to uh, start to get our eyes open to the way Peter did, God accepted me. Uh, he accepts them in Christ too. Phil Kasmer? And connected with that, I think, you know, you could look at that word favoritism. You could make a baptism of Jesus connection on the day. You'd have to probably be careful how to suss it outright. But um, God does show favoritism in the sense of he shows favor to his son, the only one who deserves it. And of course, that's joyous for us because in his son's work, the one we are to be awed at, that's how God shows his favor to us and, and without distinction to everyone else. Um, I've made that connection before just to dwell for a moment on the astounding nature of this one is he is the one who actually does merit God's love and a place with him and righteousness and all the things I'm not uh, so that that can all come to me too. Yeah, good connection there. Um, any possible theme ideas or, or things you're working with, how to kind of summarize the main point or bring it across in an engaging way? Any ideas that you can share with preachers? Alan? Um, not refined yet, but something I, I've been at to, to, as Phil said, noodling with. Um, the who like who is Jesus? Uh, he's the Jewish born God man who is Lord of all. That would be a definite part, and then uh, he is also the one on whom God poured his spirit of power to do powerful things for all people. 
So it's kind of basic, you know, the identity of Christ and the mission of Christ. Um, but certainly in the epiphany theme of things, we want to reveal Christ. And, and so those are my thoughts at this point. Yeah, I hear it, heard in your parts also, Alan, uh, Jewish born in the first part, all people in the second part. So also there's kind of that, that movement, um, Jesus coming into one particular uh, group and one culture, but he is for all Peter wrestling with that. Also, um, other thoughts, uh, Phil Hebner? Uh, yeah, maybe if you want to do a theme and parts type thing, like the anointed one, anointed for me, anointed for all, you know, so I would maybe spend some time establishing what we've been talking about here, Jesus as the Christ and what that all means with his righteousness and the one on whom the father finds favor. But then after that, to spend some time in Peter's sandals and to really have the light bulb go on. Wait, wait, I'm accepted, you know, that Jesus is this for me. And then to transition into the other half of that light bulb moment that it's for all people too. It's for others. It's not just me. Um, so that revelatory nature, that epiphany nature of understanding the anointed Christ is both for me and for all people, I guess, is maybe where I would go. Phil Casmer, any ideas? Um, the last time I walked through this text and preached on it, I spent more time on the peace aspect and said Jesus is genuine peace. And to just kind of roll around in that idea, um, it's universal, it's for all. It's secure because Jesus works and achieves it in a way that I cannot and is absolutely different than the way the world works and also that it's personal. I don't think we mentioned it much and it would certainly be a passing point, but I just thought it's interesting that Peter says it's Jesus of Nazareth, you know, like he's pointing up this real world place. You know, Jesus has an area code too. He comes to be here in real life where we are. Um, genuine peace, something this world doesn't bring. Excellent. Well, I think we've given preachers a lot to think about as they wrestle with this beautiful text uh, from Acts, Jesus, the anointed one, anointed for all people. God bless you, preachers, as you wrestle with these words of God and proclaim them to all those God places in front of you.